and now we are realizing just now that we have ancient Windows operating systems with scotch tape trying to hold together computer systems that hold registration data and voter information. What do you mean we? We're, we're in for a bumpy ride. Yeah, bumpy indeed. That's the former FBI I'm assistant so director of counterintelligence. And we're just but learning these things. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, and Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets as well. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, I hope you agree, and thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the world-famous Bradcast. Always great to have you here. We have got a lot to get to for a change today. <laughs> Include, hi, Des. Hi. Uh, including <laughs> what is uh, probably an exclusive at this point regarding a federal lawsuit filed late last night against Donald Trump and Bill Barr. And acting Homeland Security Director Chad Wolf alleging voter intimidation by them and seeking an injunction on uh, what they are doing toward that end. Just about one and a half weeks now out from Election Day, we will be joined shortly by the attorney who filed that lawsuit on behalf of the Latino civic group Mia Familia Vota yesterday. So... Yes, the hits keep coming. Meanwhile, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are set to debate on Thursday night in the final presidential debate of the season. We will have full special coverage, as usual, of that on our next broadcast. But for now, 60 Minutes released dueling teasers for interviews with both of the candidates that are set to air this Sunday after Trump reportedly walked out of his interview with the uh, program's Leslie Stahl on Tuesday. The clip that they released showed him unable to answer a pretty basic question about what his plans are to revive the economy in a second term amid the covid epidemic. And just before airtime, as I understand it, Donald Trump broke his agreement with CBS and has released the entire interview uh, online before air. Because, you know, agreements 
Schmug agreements. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, when, <laughs> when it, comes it comes to, to this Trump, president, yeah. exactly. Uh, in, in any event, I'm in truth more interested in the clip that uh, CBS released with Joe Biden uh, being interviewed by Nora O'Donnell, in which the former vice president finally offers a position on whether. If he wins the White House and Democrats retake a Senate majority, he would implement reforms to expand the Supreme Court in response to the Republican Party's blatant and, yes, continuing efforts to pack the high court with a stolen, soon-to-be 6-3 GOP majority. If elected, what I will do is I'll put together a national commission of bipartisan commission of scholars constitutional scholars, Democrats, Republicans, liberal, conservative. And I will uh, ask them to, over uh, 180 days, come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system, because it's getting out of whack, um, the way in which it's being handled. And it's not about court packing. There's a number of other things that our constitutional scholars have debated, and I'd look to see what recommendations that commission might make. So you're telling us you're going to study this issue about whether to pack the court. No, whether there's a number of alternatives that are go well beyond packing. This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live ball. No, it is a live ball. We're going to have to do that. And you're going to find there's a lot of conservative constitutional scholars who are saying it as well. The last thing we need to do is turn the Supreme Court into just a political football. Whoever has the most votes gets whatever they want. Presidents come and go. Supreme Court justices stay for generations. That was Joe Biden on uh, 60 Minutes coming up this Sunday on expanding the Supreme Court or as uh, CBS's Nora, Nora O'Donnell describes it, packing the Supreme Court using right wing framing. As always, you're going to study the issue about whether to pack the court, not to reform the court, not to expand the court, not to rebalance the court, but to pack the court. After years of Republicans doing exactly that and never being called out for it, I suspect, by folks like O'Donnell as packing it. Anyway, Desi Doyen, how do you feel about Joe Biden's comments there? Well, at first I was upset because he needs to get this done immediately. It's There's a very small window of opportunity to get these things done that will reform the court. I did see some other commentary that made me rethink that. Uh, Ellie Mistal, who's a writer for The Nation and a lawyer, he suggested that it actually might be a good idea to have that time to educate the public about mm. court reform so that you can then build public support for it beyond the groups that already yeah. supports it. Well, uh, I hadn't seen that. That's a good point. Uh, I suspect on a political level, it's a smart call there, frankly, to announce the formation of a yeah. commission to study the matter rather than tying his hands or giving right-wingers or, yes, non-right-wingers like O'Donnell more fodder to try and use against him between now and Election Day. So uh, it may make sense politically for him to do that. I'm concerned about his uh, lack of rush to get it done. You're right. This commission would be uh, 180 days, six months looking at it. But at least he's not closing the door to it. So I guess we'll uh, we'll take that for now. Don't really um, have much choice. To no, be we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> but speaking of court packing, this is just what Republicans continued to do today exactly that in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, and I don't know that Nora O'Donnell accused them of court packing, uh, despite the fact that the Republicans in the Judiciary Committee violated the longstanding rules of that committee in order to move forward the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the full Senate for a vote 
on her seating before Election Day in what would be the quickest seating in modern history and the closest ever to a presidential election. That after the Republicans had spent a full year in 2016 instructing the country that a Supreme Court justice should never be seated in an election year. Even if the justice, as happened in that case in 2016, died nine months before the election. That was just too soon. The American people deserved a voice. Well, the American people apparently can now go to hell, according to the Republican Party. Democratic senators refused to show up in the Senate Judiciary Committee today in protest of the GOP's rush to install Trump's nominee to replace the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Never, according to AP, has the Senate confirmed a Supreme Court nominee so close to a presidential election. But the absence of a quorum in the Judiciary Committee, that did not pre uh, prevent the committee's Republicans, headed by Chairman and vulnerable South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, from just powering past that boycott by Democrats to advance Barrett's nomination to the full floor of the U.S. Senate nonetheless. Just as when they changed the rules in the middle of the process by doing away with the Senate filibuster for Supreme Court nominees, you recall, back in 2017 when they could not get the 60 votes necessary to do so when packing, yes, packing the court with Justice Neil Gorsuch. Republicans uh, simply changed the Senate rules back then in the middle of the game, and they did it again today. Uh, when they couldn't get their way, because that is what they do. All 12 Republicans on the panel, of course, voted in favor of Barrett. The no-show Democrats displayed posters at their desks of Americans that they say have benefited from the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, which is now being challenged by the Trump administration and Republicans in court in a case that will be heard by the Supremes just one week after Election Day in which Donald Trump and the Republicans are calling for the entire law to be struck down in full immediately. The senators uh, now plan to convene a rare weekend session, Republican senators. Uh, they'll have a weekend session ahead of a final confirmation vote that they expect for uh, Monday. Don't know if the Democrats are going to show up for that or not. I hope they don't. I think it'll end it. I hope that it will end it, said Donald Trump in comments released on Thursday by the White House regarding the Affordable Care Act ahead of the uh, 60 Minutes interview airing on Sunday. Uh, he was talking about the Affordable Care Act, which has allowed some 30 million Americans access to health care since its 2010 passage, and it has protected coverage for about 130 million Americans with pre-existing conditions. I guess we can add another 8 million or so who now have the pre-existing condition of having uh, been infected with the coronavirus, Barrett would lock in a six to three Republican co uh, court majority for many, many years unless something changes. And that could open a new era of rulings on abortion access, on marriage equality, even the results of the upcoming presidential election. Senator 
Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate uh, minority leader, said the Senate Republican majority, quote, is conducting the most rushed, most partisan and the least legitimate nomination to the Supreme Court in our nation's history. He said Democrats will not lend a single ounce of legitimacy to this sham vote. Nonetheless, with Republicans holding a 53-47 majority in the Senate, Trump's pick for the court is now almost certain to be confirmed. AP says Senator Lindsey Graham, for his part, the committee chair, uh, said after ramming Barrett through on a 12 to 0 vote with no Democrats participating, quote, this is a groundbreaking historic moment. We did it, he said. OK, did what, Lindsey? You screwed over the American people and undermined their democracy yet again. Congratulations, sir. Hopefully, South Carolina voters will have a word or two to say about that shortly with Graham's uh, Democratic challenger for the U.S. Senate, uh, Jamie Harrison, now actually ahead of Graham in the most recent poll released in the state. And the uh, forecasters over at The Economist are describing that race right now as a toss up. Our friend Ari Berman from Mother Jones tweeted out today what he described as a stunning fact. The fact that the uh, 12 GOP senators on the Judiciary Committee who voted to advance Amy Coney Barrett's nomination represent 9 million fewer Americans than the 10 Democrats who boycotted the vote. I guess that's just one of the things that our guest on yesterday's broadcast, David Daly, was referring to when he described the existing advantage for the Republican Party that is sort of baked into the cake, baked into the Constitution when it comes to uh, both the U.S. Senate and the Electoral College. And yet it's Democrats who would somehow be packing things if they tried to bring some sort of fairness and balance to these systems which have been gamed so long by Republicans. To that end, the gaming of our elections by Republicans continues this week. The U.S. Supreme Court on Wednesday sided with Alabama's dishonest, lying, misleading, unlawfully Twitter-blocking Republican Secretary of State John Merrill in Alabama, who banned curbside voting in the state that was intended to accommodate individuals with disabilities and those at risk from COVID-19. The high court issued its order on Wednesday night without explanation over the dissent of the court's three remaining liberal justices. At issue was the decision by Secretary Merrill, who is willfully defying uh, federal law by blocking journalists like myself from reading his Twitter account. It was his decision to ban counties from allowing curbside voting, even for those voters with disabilities and those with whom for whom COVID-19 is disproportionately likely to be fatal. As NPR reports, several at risk voters challenged the ban at the beginning of May. There was a three day trial. A federal district court ruled that the ban on curbside voting violated the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that a policy allowing but not requiring counties to implement curbside voting was a reasonable accommodation under the law. A federal appeals court then uh, upheld that lower court ruling after Merrill appealed it. 
And then he went ahead and appealed it, therefore, to the Republican stolen U.S. Supreme Court to block the two lower court decisions who both agreed that this would be a fine accommodation. He sued uh, or he appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court to keep that from going into effect. And now the high court has granted the request. Some counties in Alabama had wanted to permit it to allow voters to vote from their cars at the curbside of the polling place. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, in her dissent, along with uh, uh, Justices Stephen Breyer and Elena Kagan, argued that allowing curbside voting was a modest accommodation to those at greatest risk of severe illness or death from COVID-19. Well, we can't have that. She wrote, if those vulnerable voters wish to vote in person, now they must wait inside for as long as it takes in a crowd of fellow voters whom Alabama does not require to wear face coverings. She wrote, the district court's modest injunction is a reasonable accommodation given the short time before the election. She noted that Merrill, quote, does not meaningfully meaningfully dispute that the plaintiffs have disabilities, that COVID-19 is disproportionately likely to be fatal to these plaintiffs, and that traditional in-person voting will meaningfully increase their risk of exposure. Moreover, Sotomayor said in-person voting is considerably easier than voting by mail in Alabama, At the polls, voters with disabilities receive assistance from poll workers. They don't need to have witnesses sign their ballots or have them notarized or have copies of their photo IDs as Alabama law currently requires for absentee voting. And she said they know their ballots will not arrive too late to be counted thanks to slowdowns in the Postal Service. In addition, she noted curbside voting has been recommended by the by, by the CDC during the pandemic. And the Justice Department has approved it as well as a way to prevent violations of the ADA, the uh, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. But the dishonest, disingenuous, corrupt Secretary Merrill does not give a damn if his own state's voters end up dying trying to cast their vote. Uh, Sotomayor concluded the, uh, her uh, dissenting opinion by pointing to one of the plaintiffs in the case, a man by the name of Howard Porter Jr., a black man in his 70s who suffers from Parkinson's disease and asthma. In challenging the ban on curbside voting, Porter told the district court, quote, so many of my ancestors even died to vote. He said, and while I don't mind dying to vote, I think we're past that time. Think again, I guess, Mr. Porter. Merrill, uh, in a statement, called the court's decision, quote, a ruling in favor of election integrity and security. And a win for the people of Alabama. Earlier this month, the uh, same U.S. Supreme Court acted in another election-related dispute, granting a request by Republican state officials in, yes, Lindsey Graham's own South Carolina to restore a requirement that absentee ballots must have the signature of a witness, just as is the case in Alabama. Voting rights advocates argued uh, that that would uh, place many of the uh, those folks who are susceptible to the coronavirus in great danger. 
But uh, three Republican appointees on the court, Thomas Alito and Gorsuch, after this, uh, after the uh, after the court said, uh, yes, they must have witness requirements. Sorry about that. If you die because of it, too bad. But three of the uh, uh, Republicans, Thomas Alito and Gorsuch, they went further. They uh, wrote a dissent basically saying they disagreed with the provision that was designed to ensure that the uh, unwitnessed ballots that had been sent in that were cast during the time that the requirement had been waived by the lower courts, that those two should be thrown out. They wanted to reject mail-in ballots without a signature, even if they were cast during the time that a federal court had waived that requirement in South Carolina. That's the type of court that we're dealing with at this point. So, uh, you know, and and it's only going to get worse if there's any cases that are now brought before the court uh, to keep anybody safe. Well, this court is done. They're done with this election. Unfortunately, some people may be done just by trying to uh, just by trying to vote this year. Finally, uh, before we get to my guest today here. uh, Oh, and our latest Green News report coming up later. Desi Doyen. Yep. Get ready. This week, voters in Florida, you may have heard, and several other battleground states reported receiving the following threatening email message from info at officialproudboys.com. The Proud Boys, of course, are a right-wing extremist group who support Donald Trump. And uh, at the first presidential debate a few weeks ago, you'll remember, instead of specifically condemning the Proud Boys, Donald Trump told them to stand back and stand by. So the, uh, the email in question that went out to a bunch of voters in Florida and elsewhere with the subject line, Vote for Trump or Else... It continues by saying hi, and then it actually names the specific person it's sent to. We are in possession of all your information, email address, telephone, everything. You are currently registered as a Democrat, and we know this because we have gained access into the entire voting infrastructure. You will vote for Trump on Election Day, or we will come after you. Change your party affiliation to Republican to let us know you received our message and will comply. We will know which candidate you voted for. I would take this seriously if I were you. All right. First off, they won't know uh, who you voted for. They won't know who anybody voted for. Uh, Even if they had access to the election system, it would be uh, pretty much impossible to be able to learn that. Now, I I did not get one of these emails, but I suspect if I had, it would be pretty troubling. And uh, for a lot of people who who got them, I suspect it's disturbing, uh, very disturbing. Here's someone saying they know your name. They know your email address. They say they have your telephone number, your home address and everything. They will come after you if you don't vote for Donald Trump. Well, late on Wednesday in a hastily called press conference, apparently in response to these emails, we don't know for sure because the director of national intelligence who called the press conference, this would be former Uh, Trump apparatchik congressman John Ratcliffe. He did not specifically say what the hell he was actually referring to. But according to him, at this unusual press conference late on Wednesday, Ratcliffe said both Iran and Russia 
have obtained U.S. voter registration information in an effort to interfere in the election, including Iran posing as the far-right group Proud Boys to send intimidating emails. Ratcliffe appeared alongside FBI Director Chris Wray, uh, who said pretty much next to nothing about any of this. But Ratcliffe said that Iran was responsible for this email campaign made to look like it came from the Proud Boys. Now, importantly, though Ratcliffe didn't note it, the voter information included in these emails is actually publicly available through a number of different means, which do not include hacking into our election system. Ratcliffe seems to be... uh, intimating uh, in his uh, weird, disjointed remarks, however, that they have accessed, both Iran and Russia have accessed some part of the system, he didn't say. He said this data can be used by foreign actors to attempt to communicate false information to registered voters that they hope will cause confusion, so chaos, and undermine your confidence in American democracy. He said we have already seen Iran sending spoof emails designed to intimidate voters, to incite social unrest, and damage President Trump. So those threatening emails sent to Democratic voters telling them to vote for Trump or else was meant to damage President Trump? Really? Okay. He didn't bother to explain what he meant by that, but okay. I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, say, I'm, I'm, I'm outright dubious. Yeah. Well, you should be about all of this. The... Um, Democrats on the Homeland Security Committee uh, criticized Ratcliffe after this uh, conference, saying, do not listen to Ratcliffe, partisan hack, they called him, uh, before deleting that tweet and uh, replacing it with another that said, to clarify, these election interference operations are clearly not meant to harm President Trump. For its part, Iran rejected the charges that they're interfering in the upcoming election. They said, uh, uh, quote, unlike the U.S., Iran does not interfere in other countries' elections. This is uh, in a tweet from uh, the country's mission to the U.N. Uh, She added, the world has been witnessing U.S.'s own desperate public attempts to question the outcome of its own election at the highest level. Referring to Donald Trump and his claims that the election is already rigged. Um, well, anyway, uh, hard to argue with with that last part uh, that uh, the uh, Iran mission uh, to the U.N. made there. But I need to get to my guest here shortly. And so I'll have a lot more maybe to say about all of this in the future if we find a time for it and b some actual information about what happened here. Radcliffe offered zero evidence to support his charge that Iran was behind this scheme. And beyond mentioning the word Russia, he offered zero. Zero information on how Russia was involved in any of this. So suffice to say, I believe absolutely nothing, nothing coming from this administration about any of this at this point. Nothing as far as who's responsible for it, as far as uh, who it was meant to damage, as far as how any of it was done, whether Iran or Russia had anything to do with it or what access any of them have into our electoral system. Uh, I have zero confidence in 
anything that they say, anything that comes from this administration, much less this guy, uh, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe. Apparently, the administration, despite claiming to know stuff, uh, has shared none of it with the American people, nor even with election officials, apparently, in the jurisdictions where these emails were sent. So, yeah, probably more down this road, if we are ever giving anything that's actually independently verifiable in any way, shape, or form. I, like Des, I'm always dubious. I'm always skeptical of anything the government reports, whether it's this one or any other, but especially this government. And I hope you will uh, be as well over the next week and a half or so. In the meantime, however, we do know who is definitely trying to interfere and manipulate in this election by, yes, intimidating voters. And according to a group that has filed a federal legal lawsuit last night, it is the Trump administration itself, including the president himself, along with his attorney general and his acting director of Homeland Security. The attorney who filed that case joins us next right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Well, never mind the Iranians or the Russians or the Proud Boys or whoever the Trump administration is now vaguely and without any actual evidence claiming to be intimidating Democratic voters in Florida and other key battleground states in order to somehow make Donald Trump look bad. Never mind, for the moment, the concerns about foreign nations manipulating our elections. One large advocacy group on Wednesday warned that when it comes to unlawful voter intimidation and election interference, the call, so to speak, is coming from inside the House. In this case, the White House. On Tuesday night, Hector Sanchez Barba, the executive director of Mi Familia Vota Education Fund, said in a statement, quote, Donald Trump is a clear threat to our democracy. He has terrorized the Latino community and has brought our country to the brink of ruin. Now, in an outrageous turn of events, said Barba, said Barba, he and his senior officials are intimidating voters, adding that court intervention is now critical to stop this illegal voter intimidation and to protect the fundamental right to vote. That statement accompanied the announcement of a new federal lawsuit filed on Wednesday on behalf of the organization by Free Speech for People, a government accountability organization which challenges things like dark money in politics, corruption at the highest levels of government. And yes, they have been waging a fierce fight of late for free and fair elections, among other things. According to Free Speech for People, or FSFP, on Wednesday night, 
Latino Civic Engagement Organization Mi Familia Vota Education Fund and several voters today filed a lawsuit against President Trump and members of his administration in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. The lawsuit, which names President Trump, Attorney General Bill Barr and Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf, is based on the defendant's violent suppression of public protests opposing police brutality, the encouragement of white supremacist vigilantes, threats to send sheriffs and other law enforcement officers to the polls, the undermining of mail-in voting, and the rejection of the peaceful transfer of power, which, the complaint alleges, constitute illegal voter intimidation under the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and unconstitutional suppression of speech and votes under the First, Fifth, and Fourteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Oh, is that stuff still illegal? The complaint and a motion simultaneously filed with the court seeks a preliminary injunction restraining Trump and the other defendants from continuing to engage in this unconstitutional and illegal intimidation. According to the complaint, this pattern of violently suppressing opposition, sabotaging a free and fair election and rejecting a peaceful transfer of power has the purpose and effect of intimidating Americans from voting, from trying to vote, from helping others to vote, supporting or advocating for the election of defendant Trump's opponent or from exercising the right to speak peaceably assemble or petition the government for redress of grievances in violation of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, Section 2 of the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, and yes, the First, Fifth, Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Wow. Joining us now to explain this suit, this uh, sort of amazing lawsuit naming defendants Donald Trump, Attorney General Bill Barr and acting Homeland Director Chad Wolf, who, by the way, was found by the inspector general's office to be unlawfully filling that role in the first place as acting Homeland Director on the notion that any laws in this country still matter at all. Joining us now is the legal director for Free Speech for People, Ron Fine. Oh, Mr. Fine, welcome back to the broadcast, and I'm glad to see that you are remaining busy during these otherwise slow news days, sir. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be back with you. We are um, shorter than uh, usual here on time today, so let me jump in. Uh, while I'm curious to learn if the idea of voter intimidation is even considered to be unlawful anymore, given Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett, uh, her inability to cite the federal statute very specifically last week that characterizes intimidation as a federal crime during her confirmation hearings. But first, uh, these actions by Trump, Barr and Wolf that your com your complaint is specifically alleging as its basis just about a week and a half before election. Describe what those concerns are in, in general, Ron. Well, President Trump and his top political appointees are trying to prevent a free and fair 2020 election through a, a pattern of conduct stretching over the past few months. They've threatened to send law enforcement to polling places, encouraged uh, Trump supporters and white supremacist groups with a history of violence to go to polling locations. The, Trump proposed to delay the 2020 election. He's publicly discredited voting by mail. Uh, he and his postmaster general sabotaged mail delivery for the sole purpose of making voting by mail less reliable. 
and he's threatened to prevent mailed-in votes from being counted somehow. And most distressingly, he's rejected the country's unbroken 231-year history of peaceful transfers of power by refusing to commit to honor or recognize the legitimacy of the results of the presidential election. And this pattern uh, adds up to a, uh, an intimidation of voters that violates all those federal laws you mentioned. So uh, of all of those actions that you're talking about there, is it necessary to look at them all as a pattern? Because actions, for example, like using federal troops to clear protesters in front of the White House some weeks ago, can that can something like that, which happened several weeks ago regarding protests, specifically be tied to intimidation of voters in an election weeks later? They tie together. So the pattern of threats and conduct that Trump and the other defendants have engaged in is all happening at the same time as other actions. So when President Trump threatened to send sheriffs and law enforcement and everybody to polling places, Mm -hmm. millions of Americans heard that in the context of the violent law enforcement attacks on peaceful protesters that Trump, Barr, and Wolf ordered this summer. And when he told the white supremacist Proud Boys to stand by, people heard that in the context of the violent white supremacists who've attacked protesters in the streets, like the Kenosha shooter, or, or those who plotted to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan. So when Trump makes these threats, they come in a very particular context showing that he and the people who work for him are willing to carry them out. Other claims in your suit, uh, like uh, Trump calling on his far right, uh, often militant supporters to man the polls, uh, supposedly to watch for fraud or something, and his his failure to uh, agree to a peaceful transfer of power that you cited. Uh, Those are all issues that, while discussed, have not really actually happened, at least not yet. Can a suit be brought against something that has not happened yet? Isn't that prior restraint, so to speak? Well, the the threat itself is a form of voter intimidation, Hmm. even before it happens, because, uh, look, some voters will, notwithstanding the threat, go ahead and vote anyway, but some will say... Uh, maybe I'm uh, I'm more susceptible to COVID. I, I want to vote by mail, but I don't want to vote by mail if Trump is going to find a way to make my vote not count. Mm. So maybe I'd go vote in person, but now I'm worried about uh, either COVID or uh, or white supremacists or sheriffs and everybody that he's talking about being at the polling places. Mm-hmm. So now I'm hesitating about whether I want to go vote in person either. And what that means is that some people will hesitate just from the threats themselves, Mm -hmm. will hesitate and they will be intimidated from voting. What is the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, Ron, and and how does that come into play in these particular allegations? As as the name implies, it was passed in, in 1871 to deal with a pattern of conduct by the KKK at that time. And one of its provisions says that if two or more people conspire to prevent by intimidation any citizen who's lawfully entitled to vote from giving his support or advocacy to a candidate for president or vice president or, or a member of Congress, um, then not only can that be restrained by the court, they can actually obtain uh, monetary damages. Hmm. And it's important to note that when Congress passed the KKK Act back in 1871, it, it was about... One of their big concerns was that the KKK was intimidating 
obviously uh, black voters, Mm -hmm. and also voters of the Republican Party, which was at that time the party that supported Reconstruction and equality. You are alleging that uh, Trump has, uh, quote, repeatedly attacked and attempted to delegitimize the practice of vote by mail in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, has publicly confirmed that his efforts to intimidate and coerce people not to vote by mail are subjectively motivated by the intent to harm his political opponents in the 2020 election and has directed or ratified Postmaster General Louis DeJoy confirmed in June, uh, who who initiated or oversaw drastic reductions to USPS staffing and services, limited the use of mail trucks and removed hundreds of public mailboxes and postal facility sorting machines to undermine the United States Postal Service. So, Ron, two questions come to mind here. One, isn't the president, as a candidate, isn't he entitled to advise his uh, supporters to vote or in this case, not vote in any particular manner that he wants. For example, Democrats are encouraging voters to use vote by mail and drop uh, uh, drop ballots off in person where possible or, or otherwise vote during early voting. So first question, I guess, is is what's the difference there in what he's doing by telling people, oh, don't vote by mail because you can't trust it. And two, uh, I would concur if there is evidence tying Postmaster DeJoy, uh, General DeJoy's actions uh, in slowing down mail in various ways directly to Trump, that that would be certainly actionable. But do you or your plaintiffs have such evidence to show that, yes, in fact, Donald Trump has directed the postmaster to uh, d- to do exactly what we see him doing? So the president certainly can encourage uh, voters to to vote or or to not vote by by any means that they want. But the issue here is that he hasn't just been saying it's better for you to vote in person. What he's been saying is that voting by mail is is rigged and fraudulent, shouldn't be counted, and then using the power of his office to make it harder for voting by mail to take place. And we know, of course, of the changes that uh, DeJoy put in place, some of which have already been uh, blocked by uh, court orders. Trump has, has ratified or maybe even ordered these actions. He, he confirmed publicly uh, his involvement in these changes and that his actions were intended to undermine voting by mail. And, in fact, in talking about why he opposed funding for uh, the post office, uh, an emergency bailout for the post office during the pandemic, he specifically said that the Postal Service needs that money to make uh, the the voting by mail work, and and if we don't give them the money, then they can't have mail-in voting. Mm -hmm. So Trump has, uh, he's he's often um, making himself uh, and his motivations very clear, uh, both on TV and on Twitter, and in this case, there's little, if any, doubt that Trump has been behind ratifying and ordering all of these changes designed to make it harder for people to vote. And it is interesting because each of these points that you mentioned, I could probably look at each one of them and say, well, that happened several weeks ago. It doesn't have to do with the election or this uh, hasn't even happened yet or we don't know if he's tied to that. But you're right. There is a very clear pattern. And is that enough to establish a violation of the uh, the various laws you cite, just uh, showing that added all together, all of these things uh, would, would make them guilty of, of these uh, as charged here? 
some of these might stand alone, uh, but when you put them all together, mm-hmm. the cumulative pattern is, is inescapable. As we discussed, when he threatened to send sheriffs and law enforcement to the polls just a few months after he had sent uh, the Customs and Border Protection to uh, violently attack protesters in Portland, and after he sent Bureau of Prisons riot control teams to police the streets of D.C. during the Black Lives Matter protest. People understand what it means when the president talks about sending law enforcement, and when he says he's going to send everybody, and when he tells the Proud Boys to stand by, people understand what that means when he's giving praise uh, and encouragement uh, even to the Kenosha shooter Mm -hmm. and uh, the people who were behind the plot to assassinate the governor of Michigan. So this is not uh, one piece of conduct, Mm -hmm. one isolated statement. This is a month-long pattern that the president and his top officials have been involved in that has the purpose uh, and uh, effect, hopefully not successfully, but Mm -hmm. it certainly has that effect of intimidating people from voting either in person or by mail. So what kind of actions or or restraints or or remedies, I guess, specifically, are you now seeking from the court uh, here in this case? We're requesting immediate judicial relief with uh, several points of relief. First of all, we want uh, relief ordering or prohibiting the defendants from deploying armed federal agents at or near polling places, uh, from ordering federal agents to block the delivery of ballots or interfere in the counting of ballots, from taking any actions that could limit the speed or reliability of mail delivery, and specifically to Trump, uh, prohibiting him from encouraging his supporters to bring weapons to polling places, block access to polling places, to question voters, uh, or from using official government public uh, communications channels, which now includes his Twitter account, to suggest that lawful votes will be scrutinized or challenged. And that would, of course, apply to uh, to Donald Trump, to the Attorney General Bill Barr, and to Chad Wolf, as you uh, as they are all named as defendants here. Is there time, Ron Fine, for a court to actually take the actions uh, that you are seeking at this point? Just about a week and a half from Election Day, uh, and and is this something that you would expect? to find its way to the Republican Party's stolen U.S. Supreme Court, either brought there by you or by the defendants if the lower courts uh, rule against them here? Well, the trial courts in the federal court system are capable of moving quickly when they need to, and the nature of pre-election litigation like this is that it does need to be resolved very quickly, and we believe that the district judge uh, can do that. Uh, and then in terms of potential appeals, uh, if we win... I think there is definitely a possibility that it could go all the way to the Supreme Court, and we will have to see who the justices are at that point. But right now we're focused on winning in the trial court and getting an injunction against the president and his officials. Have the defendants replied yet, and or has the court set any uh, schedule for this case? Uh, not yet. We we just filed it yesterday, but we're trying to set a, an urgent, fast-moving schedule. Very quickly, I, before I let you go, I know that uh, free speech for people this week, also uh, on behalf of the Minnesota branches of the Council on American-Islamic Relations and the League of Women Voters in the state, also uh, filed a complaint against a private mercenary contractor who was advertising jobs for former special forces troops to patrol 
polling places in Minnesota, uh, as I understand it, has the uh, uh, the defendant in that case, Anthony Caudill. I guess he runs Atlas Aegis. This is the group that The Washington Post reported this week as posting these job ads. Has the defendant responded to that complaint yet? And what do you see as the timeline for that particular case uh, as well at this point? So the defendant has not responded yet in court. We've, we have learned uh, since we filed our complaint, the attorney general of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, has announced that he's also investigating this company. We have a hearing in the federal court this Monday, uh, the, the 26th, and we are seeking a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction to order this company to stop r- recruiting special forces operatives to patrol the polling places in Minnesota, and certainly not to send anybody uh, into the streets to do that, and also to identify the uh, unnamed clients that hired them for this job. Well, yeah, that's my question. Do we know who's backing this company? Not yet, but we hope to obtain that from uh, this litigation. Very interesting. Uh, You guys are filing very important cases uh, on these matters at Free Speech for People, as well as on election integrity matters regarding voting systems and the dangerous conditions at polling places around the country. We've had uh, you and some of the other attorneys there on recently in states like Texas, for example, where polling places are incredibly enough, exempt from the state's mask mandate. Uh, So listen, uh, Ron, I got to let you go, but I just want to first say thanks for all that Free Speech for People is doing and uh, to encourage folks to support your work by dropping by freespeechforpeople.org. Drop a few dollars in the tip jar if you can. I think that your work now, uh, and I suspect in the days both leading up to and likely beyond Election Day, are uh, are very important. So thank you, and please let us know how we can help anytime, Ron Fine. Thank you for your kind words, Brad, and I, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to speak to you anytime. You can uh, find out more about that work, as I said, at freespeechforpeople.org. You can follow them on the Twitters at FSFP as in Free Speech for People. And you can find Ron also on the Twitters himself at Ron Fine. Thanks, Ron. Always great to talk to you. I suspect we'll be talking again soon. I suspect so. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Yep. And looks like a little bit of breaking news. We'll get to that in a second as well. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, this uh, just in from AP. They report that U.S. officials said Thursday that Russian hackers have targeted the networks of dozens of state and local governments in the U.S. in recent days, stealing data from at least two servers. Wow. The warning uh, less than two weeks before the election amplified fears of the potential for tampering with the vote and undermining confidence in the results. Not much more is known at this point than that. And as I uh, warned earlier, be dubious about everything. But of course, when it comes to our vulnerable election system, 
It's always fun right before the election when people start freaking out about it. Where the hell were they 10, 5, 10, 15 years ago since we've been warning about these exact vulnerabilities for that long? Anyway, (laughs) speaking of ignoring warnings, let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Hurricane Epsilon is now a major hurricane, reaching Category 3 status on Wednesday evening. Another new record-breaking hurricane in an already record-breaking Atlantic hurricane season. Australia's Great Barrier Reef has lost half of its corals due to warming oceans. The first ever all-climate campaign ad. Plus... With no limits, no emissions, and no equals. The Hummer is back, and it's all electric. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Stronger, more frequent hurricanes, rising tides, flooding. That's not some distant future in Miami or South Florida? You're dealing with it right now. What do you have to do? Get knocked in the head to understand it? Yes, knock someone in the head. I've got a few names for you, Joe Biden. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we're just about at that point in the Greek alphabet where I don't know any more of the letters, so this better be the last hurricane of the year. I don't know them either, and I hope you're right. Hurricane Epsilon rapidly intensified in the Atlantic Ocean on Wednesday into a major Category 3 storm in less than 24 hours. It's headed to Bermuda and is not forecast to strike the U.S. There have been so many storms in this historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season that the National Hurricane Center ran out of official storm names and has turned to the Greek alphabet. Never before have two Greek-named storms become major hurricanes in a single season. Epsilon is the earliest 26th-named storm ever recorded, more than a month ahead of the previous record set in 2005, and it is the latest storm to intensify this quickly so far north because of unusually warm ocean temperatures providing heat energy. What do you have to do? Get knocked in the head to understand it? Two new studies focus on ocean warming. The first, in the proceedings of the National Academies of Science, estimates that the Atlantic Ocean is the warmest it has been for 3,000 years and that it markedly spiked in the last decade, Great, likely due to man-made global warming. A different study by NOAA scientists found temperatures are also rising in the deepest parts of the ocean, more quickly than previously thought. Ocean warming is also the driver behind a new study that found Australia's Great Barrier Reef has lost more than half of its famous corals since 1995. Mm. Populations of all types of corals dropped by more than 50 percent across the world's largest reef system because of warmer seas driven by man-made global warming and multiple extreme marine heat events in recent years. How do climate deniers who claim that uh, it's not getting warmer, how do they explain the acidification of the oceans and the death of the 
coral reefs. They pretend it doesn't exist. Oh, okay. As we go to air, climate change is on the list of official topics in the final presidential debate of this endless 2020 campaign on Thursday night. We'll cover what went down in our next report. On Tuesday, before the debate, a new poll showed that two-thirds of voters, 66 percent, support Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's $2 trillion climate plan to create jobs while transitioning the nation to clean energy as a form of economic stimulus. The poll did not ask respondents about Donald Trump's climate plan because he doesn't have one. Of course he doesn't have one. The BBC reported this week that scientists studying climate change say the re-election of Donald Trump could make it, quote, impossible to keep global temperatures in check. Grist.org notes that Senate races, especially in Maine, North Carolina, Iowa, and Montana, could also help determine the fate of the planet by tipping the U.S. Senate majority to Democrats, which will be essential for passing any climate legislation. That is, if they get rid of the filibuster. Otherwise, I don't think anything's going to pass in the U.S. Senate. Also in politics, in another first for climate and the environment in presidential politics, Biden this week rolled out the very first campaign ad focused solely on climate change, featuring a cherry farmer talking about the challenges of farming amid extreme weather disasters. As I think about my grandchildren and the world we live in, I think it's very important to adopt measures to mitigate climate change. I'm John King. I'm from Central Lake, Michigan, and I'm a fruit farmer. Finally, Reuters reports that automakers are gearing up for tough new vehicle emissions rules and policies favoring electric vehicles should Biden win the White House. And in a sign of the times, that symbol of conspicuous consumption, the Hummer, is back and it's all electric. Introduced this week as the world's first all-electric super truck, it goes zero to 60 in three seconds, costs more than $100,000, and reservations for the first-year model sold out in a single hour. Nice. I will avoid any Hummer jokes here. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide, please, on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Also, my thanks to our guest today, Ron Fine from freespeechforpeople.org. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. Download it and share it with your friends, family, and yes, your enemies. That is made possible by... Those kind listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us keep going and stay on your public airwaves. Thank you. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. We will see you there until we see you here next time with our special coverage of the final presidential debate. Maybe ever. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. It's